Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. How does an economy that is more mindful and less mindless become a reality? Welcome to the Mindful Marketplace. I'm your host, Joel Skeen, and I'm happy to welcome you to the show where we ask experts, entrepreneurs, investors, and industry leaders for their perspectives on how all of us can, on every level, do our part to help create a more mindful marketplace. Welcome to the Mindful Marketplace. I'm your host, Joel Skeen, and I am excited about our interview and our conversation here today with um, a guy who has really been making a big impact in the local community as well as has a really extensive background. He is a nonfiction author, an ecosystems justice activist, and um, I am really excited to get his perspective on what makes a more mindful marketplace rather than a mindless one that we have. Um, Before we get into that, though, the balance sheet, assets, liabilities, debts, and investments. Last week, I went local on assets. This week, I'm going to go national. And I am going to say, I'm going to say a big asset that we have um, is John Stewart. Now, John Stewart and I have an on-again, off-again relationship. He doesn't know about it, but that's how it is. Uh, I've loved him. I've been disappointed in him. But man, when he's at his best, he is an enormous asset, enormous asset to our society. Um, John Stewart went after senators who voted um, to keep a bill from passing that's now made famous, the PACT Act. That bill would provide assistance to veterans who were exposed to harmful chemicals during their service, such as Agent Orange during the Vietnam War or toxins toxins from burn pits used by the military waste uh, to burn military waste in Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of the senators who voted for funding to send these soldiers to war voted against funding to help them heal from their service to our country. Uh, And John Stewart's critique of these senators went so viral that public opinion swayed enough to twist their arms into doing the right thing. So thank you, John. Liabilities were going to come local this time. Uh, The city of Asheville and Duke Energy are actively discussing a a new substation project, which would alter the unique greenscape and character of historic Lexington Avenue. So moving this substation would mean tearing down a whole bunch of trees and sort of decimating the greenscape that is, you know, makes Lexington Avenue such an attractive place for business and for uh, life. Moving the substation puts over 60 small businesses, over 1,000 residents, and a valuable 11,000 square feet of urban forest canopy at risk. Duke's nearly three-story substation would impact a 10-city block on historic Lexington Ave, turning tree views into a grim gray landscape and turning the beauty and character of Lexington Ave and their forest into a concrete block. There is a petition you can sign to tell the city no thanks on a plan um, that does this. You want to go to friendsoflexingtonavenue.com and you can sign the petition there and see how else you can get involved if that cause moves you. Next is debts. So um, big news, thousands of student loan borrowers who were defrauded by for-profit, for <laughs> sorry, uh, 
Thousands of student loan borrowers who were defrauded by for-profit schools just got one step closer to getting their debt wiped out. When a borrower believes that they were defrauded by a for-profit school, they can file what's called a borrower defense repayment claim, which would give those borrowers debt relief if they can prove a school's wrongdoing. But under former education secretary Betsy DeVos, those claims ran up a backlog and left many borrowers that could have been eligible for discharge waiting and waiting. This prompted Harvard Law School's project on predatory student lending to file a lawsuit in 2019 against DeVos. The education department announced in June of this year that it agreed to a settlement that would give 200,000 um, defrauded borrowers around $6 billion in relief. And federal judge William Alsup granted that settlement preliminary approval last week, calling it a grand slam for borrowers. Now, if you are someone who's in debt and you want more information on how to eliminate your debt faster without spending any more money, go to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com and click on the button that says eliminate debt. Lastly, investments. Um, I want to highlight here a really great bi-weekly newsletter designed to be the hub for local investing. We've talked a lot about local investing and we're going to do more so, but if you're interested in being a local investor or learning more how it works, definitely check out the Main Street Journal. Instead of Wall Street Journal, it's the Main Street Journal. Um, really fantastic resource. And you know, I really, really dig what they're doing um, and their website, for instance, it says that for the United States, we believe that shifting even a small fraction of the tens of trillions of dollars Americans have invested into Wall Street, into local businesses, projects, and people on Main Street, that can have a huge impact on community prosperity, environmental sustainability, and social justice. For the world, local investing offers the best chance available for solving intractable problems of climate disruption, homelessness, food deserts economic stagnation, and just about everything else that worries us. All right, that's the balance sheet. Now, let's get into our conversation. Um, really excited um, and grateful that I got to meet um, Robertson here a few weeks ago. Um, really clicked with him and really excited to get to dive into this discussion that we have every week about you know, how does a more mindful marketplace and a less mindless marketplace actually take shape and what does it actually look like? Um, so very grateful to have on author and activist Robertson work. Robertson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel, for inviting me to your show. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. I want to first um, let people a little bit know about your background. I know most of our listeners probably haven't heard of you. Um, and so could you just tell us a little bit about um, your background, your experience, and where it is that you're coming from? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, first, I just wanted to say how much I like the word mindful in the title of your show, because it's very important to me that we're each as mindful as possible of the impacts our lives make on others, ourselves and the environment. And in business, of course, it's especially important to be mindful of the impacts of our services, products and business practices on the lives of other people, especially the most vulnerable and on the ecological boundaries. So I salute uh, the, the uh, choice of your title. So yeah, my background, uh, after growing up in Oklahoma and attending grad school in Chicago, my first work was uh, in helping uh, the poor uh, to live full lives and realize their potential by establishing human development projects in rural villages and urban slums in different countries. This, was, uh, this work was with a nonprofit, the Institute of Cultural Affairs, ICA, and I worked in Chicago on the west side 
uh, in Malaysia, South Korea, both near the DMZ and on the island of Jeju, and then back in, back to Oklahoma, my home state, in a, a poor rural village, and then back, to, and then out to Jamaica and Venezuela. So that was 22 years. And then we, at that time, we also offered organizational and leadership development. Then I switched, I was invited to work at the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, for, and that was for 16 years, really enjoyed that, as a decentralized and local governance policy advisor. So I was based in New York City at headquarters, and I served the member states, 193 countries of the UN with policy advice and launched programs to help people improve their lives in the urban slums. That was, uh, I really appreciated that. And then the next 10 years, I taught innovative leadership for sustainable development at New York University, Wagner Graduate School of Public Service to young professionals from around the world. And that was a real treat. Also at this time, I gave 12 talks around the world on the urgency of responding to climate chaos and ecocide and other crises through compassionate ecological leadership and action. And for the past five years, I've been a nonfiction author and ecosystem justice activist based here in Western North Carolina. So in the last five years, I've enjoyed uh, publishing five books. One, A, a Compassionate Civilization, that's kind of my, my manifesto, uh, visionary uh, piece. A book uh, called The Critical Decade of, from 2020 to 2029. That's on how we must, we have just this decade is the time where we must address uh, climate uh, mitigation and adaptation uh, and other crises. And then uh, other books, a book of, of an autobiography, a book of poetry, a book of essays. So I've really enjoyed that. And then continue my activism at the national uh, level, state level and local level. And I want to spend more time in, uh, in a few minutes about coming here on the local level of, in uh, Western North Carolina. And I think that's enough about me at that point, this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I know that there's plenty to talk about. You have a very, um, you know, you've done a lot of impressive things. You have a very accomplished career here. Um, I did want to ask a little follow-up. You said when you were with, I think it was the UN, you said, I'm losing track of all the good stuff you've done. But when you said you were with the UN, you said you were working on decentralized and localized um, systems. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Like why, you know, because to me, that that's one of the biggest things is moving away from uh, centralized power in our business world and in our, you know, in our society and more towards something that really resembles, you know, kind of democracy. But I guess, you know, you're an expert on this. Why, why is that decentralized and localized um, goal so important to you? Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, uh, particularly in developing countries, so many countries are highly centralized. That means all the power resides in the capital and the decisions are made there. And uh, the further you get from the capital, uh, the less power you have. So you get out to the provinces, not much. You get out to the villages, none. So the UN was invited by many countries to help countries, uh, what we call decentralized governance. That's bring governance uh, from the capital uh, to strengthen governance at the provincial level, you know, with uh, budgets and uh, elections and uh, capacities at the provincial level or what we call the state level. And then also below that, you know, in cities and towns and uh, rural villages. 
So that again, building the capacities of local people, local budgets, local resources, taxes, tax base. Uh, and as you said, it's critical. You know, if all the decisions are being made in the, the national capital, uh, you know, then we can't have uh, democracies. We can't have, by definition. So that's why the UN has been um, doing a lot of this work. And I, I, I was asked to to help in that. So even though I was based in New York, I was able to you know, go to countries all around the world and give advice on policies and start new projects and programs, uh, particularly in the urban slums to strengthen uh, the capacities uh, of people in the low income settlements in, in developing countries uh, so that they uh, could care for themselves. So I agree with you completely, you know, without decentralized and local governance, uh, we, we cannot have democracy and we cannot have uh, true de- development. Yeah. And is that, I mean, I'm assuming in your book, the compassionate civilization, that that's, that's a big part of it. You know, what, what are, what are some of the other key components and that can even get us into, you know, we, we wanted to talk about this donut economic model. Um, but I guess, you know, when you, you mentioned your manifesto being your book, compassionate civilization, along with critical decade, um, you know, I think when you, when you say it's compassionate civilization, that, that to me, it sort of sounds like what I'm talking about with the mindful marketplace. It's not even necessarily a, a destination, but it's a direction to move in. What are some of those other components to you of a compassionate civilization? Yes, exactly. Uh, even though I said the uh, climate chaos and ecocide are at the top, they are interlinked with other aspects that we, we must address. So we, we address the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the echo side and, and uh, with a regenerative environment. And then we also have to address uh, gender, you know, with promoting gender equality. We have to bring in participatory governance so that every voice is honored. Uh, we have to bring in a cultural tolerance where whatever one's religion or ethnicity or race, that they are treated as a full human being with full rights. And then of course, uh, peace and nonviolence. You know, we can move, we must move from a world of perpetual warfare and a culture of violence uh, to uh, a world of, 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 of peace and nonviolence. And so these are some of the aspects uh, in addition to the ecological peace, you know, on govern- governance uh, and so on. Yeah. And it's, you know, when we say words like peace, compassion, nonviolence, usually the, I think the first thing that comes to mind for most people probably isn't, you know, um, isn't necessarily business and industry. Um, a lot of times, you know, the, the way that we've looked at those things and the way that they've taken form is to really be more competitive, more winner take all, um, more about, you know, kind of who can put who else out of business more so than about creating a more sustainable environment for everybody involved. Um, but this, this economic model that you and I connected over and that um, I was able to attend a viewing of the TED talk of it with you here called the donut economics. And I, it was really um, and what I loved about it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of your, you know, kind of help you ex- have you sort of explain this a bit more to our listeners, but it seemed to be a place where, we where those two things could meet in the middle, where things like competition, markets, um, business growth was able to meet with some of these other higher ideals that we have in an actual you know kind of workable at least uh, framework and idea. Um, 
how did you get, um, or, you know, if you'd like to tell us either how you got um, introduced to the donut economic model or what it was that drew you to that, um, I'd love to hear your little kind of just your overview of that. Certainly. Yes. I, very important. Thank you. Uh, yes. I, for several years, I've been aware of donut economics. It was invented by Kate Rayworth. Uh, she's an Oxford professor, an economist, and she realized that economics was all wrong <laughs> as she studied more and more and taught and wrote uh, that uh, we can't just look at uh, the money flows and uh, debt and assets. And we've got to look at the whole ecological uh, environment of planet Earth in terms of terms of resources and also the social foundations in, ter- in terms of humanity. So he wrote a book uh, uh 2017 called Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist. It's it's really so important. I'm so glad you're introducing this to your listeners. I think they will appreciate it. Uh, she's saying that, again, economics isn't just about the balance sheet. It's not just about winning. It's not just about profit. It's not just about, it's about uh, the whole system because we, we are, uh, we live on a planet. You know, we're not just sort of in an abstract world. We're on a planet with air and water and soil and and uh, minerals, and we are mammals. You know, when we need water and food and and energy, and uh, you know, we're we're of different genders and we're different, uh, and so on. So she's saying economics isn't just about money. It's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about uh, profit. It's about the, the responsible way of being uh, on this planet. So she, in in her model, which is an incredible model, it's a circular model. I wish I could show it to you, but if your readers could uh, uh, Google, Google Donut Economics or Kate Rayworth, R-A-W-O-R-T-H. Uh, and she has some great TED Talks. She has some, uh, and they can even pick up a copy. Anyway, she's saying that we, as, as economists and as people who uh, care about uh, this, this world, we have two jobs. One is to avoid short, shortfalls from the social foundation, again, so that everyone has enough water, food, health, education, income, peace, justice, political voice, equity, gender equality, housing, uh, and energy, and so on. So she's, she's having us look at how, whatever we do in business, uh, how are we uh, impacting uh, humanity, uh, the, 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 our fellow, fellow human beings in terms of those uh, aspects? And how do we, uh, what we do, how do we do it in such a way that we are strengthening that social foundation and mm-hmm. creating a safe and just space for humanity uh, and that does not overshoot the ecological ceiling? This is the other dimension. So she has the social foundation and her other dimension, the ecological ceiling. By, and by overshooting, she means that whatever we do, that we're not uh, increasing climate change. We're not increasing ocean acidification or chemical pollution or depleting the ozone layer or polluting the air or uh, losing biodiversity or uh, destroying uh, the land or freshwater resources or putting too much nitrogen and phosphorus uh, into the soil or too much chemical pollution. Um, so if you see her, I wish, again, I wish I could draw on the on radio, but if you kind of envision a donut, that's why she calls it 
donut economics. So in the middle is the hole. So you don't want people to fall into the hole, the shortfall, and you don't want people to overshoot the outside of the donut into the beyond the ecological ceiling. So it's a brilliant, simple, clear, uh, compassionate kind of model. And she's calling all, not, not only economists, but uh, people in government and people in culture and uh, social, this social uh, development you know, t- to look at all these aspects. And I said a lot, so I was a lot, but let me stop there. No, you're, and I love it because what it really does is it introduces the sweet spot. You know, yes. it, it really shows that growth is good. Like when you're starting a business, when you are in the middle of doing something and you're expanding in general, growth is good. But what this economic model just takes into account is that you can always have too much of a good thing. You know, there's, I think that's very simple, common sense wisdom, whether it's from the East in the um, yin yang and the balance idea, whether it's from the West and Aristotle and his, you know, the philosopher's mean of finding that middle ground, finding that balance. And it's a dynamic balance. Like when you ride a bicycle, um, that doesn't mean that you stay put in the middle, you're moving. There's some back and forth to that balance, but it creates a zone of operation where everyone has what they need and everyone's getting the resources they have, but they're not overshooting and we're not causing ecological disaster on that. So we've got just a couple minutes left and I want to hit on um, what you're doing now, what your work is doing now um, in the Swannanoa River Valley. Please tell us what it is the project is about and what you guys are trying to accomplish. Thank you. This is, I'm really passionate about this. Yeah, for the last five months, a group of us local residents here in the Swannanoa watershed, that's between Asheville and Black Mountain and up to Mount Mitchell, uh, where we've been meeting two hours a week, every week for five months, bringing in speakers, discussing planning, taking action. And we're applying the donut economics to the Swannanoa watershed. And it, we're getting a lot of interest, a lot of excitement. And uh, we're really committed to uh, applying this model uh, to where we live here in uh, Asheville, Swannanoa, Black Mountain. And, uh, I, and I'm so glad you could attend our meeting this last Monday. I hope you can come to other meetings. And I hope your listeners can get uh, the book, uh, can uh, look us up. Look up. Uh, uh, we meet at 15 Riparian Way every Monday at 11 a.m. Come on out it's to Swannanoa, right on the Swannanoa River. So we really hope uh, your listeners will uh, get involved in donut economics and in our own watershed. Absolutely. Now, if someone wants to attend that meeting or they'd like to just know more about that, how can they, uh, how can they reach you, whether it's by email or a website? What, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you to get more information and get more involved? Yes, my email is robertsonwork, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N work 100 at gmail.com. So just shoot me an email. We'll welcome you, give you more exact uh, directions. So it's every Monday at 11 a.m. But please uh, just send an email and come on, come on out. We have, we've gone in the last five months, we started at four people. We're now up to 20 people. I love seeing the growth of that group and I can't wait to see it grow more. Thanks for all the work you've been doing there, Robertson. Um, you're an asset to the community. We should put you up on our assets board on the, uh, on the balance sheet here. Uh, thanks so much. And to all your listeners out there, you can listen to this episode as well as episodes from other great shows on bizradio.us. Have a good day. You all take care of yourselves and take care of each other. 
Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.